You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. Hi, I'm Jennifer Wood. And I'm Jennifer Connor from Equestrian Businesswomen, and you're listening to Equestrian B2B, the podcast that brings together industry leaders, entrepreneurs, and equestrians for conversations about how they build and sustain a successful business. On today's show, we speak to Katie Navarra bradley about what a coach does, when you need to seek one out, and how to best utilize their services. Katie Navarra bradley is a business performance coach who is passionate about helping individuals, teams, and small business owners discover their unique strengths and elevate their communication skills to achieve personal and professional success. She is also a content marketing strategist and writer who works with clients to establish themselves as thought leaders. Her co-authored book, Shoeing the Modern Horse, was named the best equine nonfiction book of 2022. She is based in New York's capital region. Learn more at www.katynavara.com and you can find her newsletter, Words of Winston, on Substack. Hi, Katie. It's so great to have you on. I know we were supposed to have you come to Saratoga Women in Business, um, but it didn't quite work out. But we're excited to have you on to talk about the topics that you were going to speak on at the Women in Business Spectacular um, and, you know, get started and jump right in. Hi, Jen and Connor. I am excited to be here today, and I was very disappointed to miss your event in Saratoga. Um, As your audience can appreciate, we had a horse health emergency that day that required an inpatient procedure for our mare and her young foal. So um, apologize that we missed being with you that day, but I'm excited to be here on your podcast. Yeah, that's great. We're so happy to have you. Yep. So you were going to Talk a little bit about um, at the Women in Business about what your your business is, and you are a coach. So, can you tell us what inspired you to become a coach? Sure. Um, so, I should back up just a little bit. My business actually has two sides to it. Um, okay. The way that I actually launched my business was through my initial career as a journalist, uh, freelance journalist, and content strategist and creator. Um, And for many years, I worked in corporate communication settings while I was building that business and launched in 2020. Um, It was planned to launch in 2020. (laughs) My last day at work was a week before the pandemic. I went home and the whole world shut down. Um, But it was, um, it really truly was the best timing that I could have asked for. And so when I finally took that leap and created my own business, it was an opportunity for me to also have time to dig more into leadership, which is an area that I've been passionate about since um, my college days. I studied interorganizational communication at SUNY Geneseo and really got into the dynamics of teamwork and communicating and different communication styles and how that influences all of our relationships, whether that's at work or personal. Um, And while I was at Geneseo, I was part of their um, gold leadership program, which was in its development phases at that point in time and eventually became a model for other colleges across the country to develop a student leadership certification program. It was it was quite um, in depth and it was a really interesting experience. It kind of started me on this whole path that I didn't even realize back then when I was (laughs) in college. Um, So when I got out of college, like I mentioned, I had a couple of corporate jobs before 
my own company. And at 22, I was managing people and realizing there are a lot of dynamics that go on with running a distribution store and having customers come in, managing your clients. And so I just always kept studying that leadership. And I participated in different um, academies through the Chamber of Commerce, through a leadership association locally. And so when I finally had this time in my life, because I was running my own business, I decided to go and become a credentialed International Coaching Federation coach. And that program was offered through Rutgers University and geared towards um, executive coaching. Um, So we kind of came at it from the executive background. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. And I love you mentioning you know, courses and continuing education that you took when you were working before you started your own company. Because I think a lot of people, maybe in our industry, um, don't take advantage of those outside resources and don't look into it. And I think there's a lot out there for people um, if they want to learn those skills and become, you know, a better business person or a better leader, all of those. I really do love learning about a lot of different things. Um, Sometimes I think I have to rein myself back in because I could be that person that signs up for everything. (laughs) And while I was training to become a coach, I was introduced to the Clifton Strengths Assessment, which is based on 34 different dynamics of your strengths. And unsurprisingly, futuristic and learner are in my top five. So (laughs) I was like, oh, now I understand why every time somebody tries to sell me a course or there's an exciting workshop that comes up, I raise my hand. Um, But I have really benefited from having many different perspectives as I build my own business. I feel like I'm the same. Like I've been toying with taking an acting class to help me with my sales skills and, you know, just different, trying out different things. And I do think that people in the equine industry get so stuck in our industry that they don't look outside at programs that could help enhance their skills on this side of it. And I, and I do think like leadership skills are super important in any role that you play, whether you're just an employee or you're the boss, I think it's important to understand about leadership. So that's really interesting. Are you an equine assisted coach? Is that what your business is? So I do offer traditional coaching sessions that are one-on-one, whether that's via Zoom like we're doing or in person. Um, But the niche I really am striving to develop is equine assisted coaching. And so the, the parameters are very similar. You know, my goal is to help individuals and teams kind of look inward, reflect on where their challenges are, where they want their career path to go or their teams and help them bring that out. The difference is that I'm doing that with my horses. Um, And number one, just because I love horses. um, But as all of us here know, you know, horses have this innate sense to help us understand, quote unquote, what we're doing wrong or what we're missing um, or what we might have struggling, be struggling to, to, really be vulnerable about. And horses can do this in a way that's so non-judgmental. You know, when you hear that from somebody else, sometimes it can sting a little bit, or we may not be ready to hear it from a colleague. But when a horse reacts to a tone of voice that we've had or notices an insecurity, there's a feeling of um, just maybe a comfort level that we can acknowledge that in a little bit of a different way than sitting with our boss or the peers that we work with every day. Mm. 
Yeah, horses kind of they they don't hide secrets. Right? <laughs> no. I don't think they're capable of that. No. <laughs> no. No. Yeah. It's very interesting. Um, I have a cousin who has some handicaps and she had a horse and, you know, he could be a little bit of a jerk on the racetrack for the rest of us, but he was always very kind to her and they have some kind, they have a sense, you know, about people. I love that about it. Well, and what's really interesting, my, my lead mare in the program is very, I mean, she's as quiet as quiet can come. And I mean, she is a show horse, so she has a little bit more training than maybe some others, but if she doesn't want to do something for somebody, whether it's because something's bothering her or because their approach is just not connecting with her approach, she'll just kind of stand there and throw her head up. And Hmm. my co-facilitator had a moment with her like last year, it was kind of interesting. She said, Oh, Bella told me we're not doing this today. (laughs) And and my co-facilitator said she actually sensed that the horse was picking up on her nervous vibes on a story that she had just shared that had made her vulnerable. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it was uh, not only were we, you know, leading other people that were attending, but it was also being able to use our own in the moment experiences to really illustrate what was going on. Thanks to thanks to Bella. (laughs) And do you find that this works even with people who already know horses and have been around horses and, you know, I, I've heard of lots of programs for companies where, you know, teams go in and work with horses uh, in order to learn things, but those are people who have maybe never even seen a horse in person before and and you're working with equestrians. So how does, how do, does that make it easier or harder? Um, so the friend of mine that I co-facilitate with um, before we started doing this work, and I, I did actually go and become a certified instructor through E3A. Um, but the two of us went down to a facility about an hour and a half south from where we live that offers these programs. And on the entire way down, she and I were talking about, you know, how is this going to work? Is there anything that we can really learn from this? And we're both horse people. Um mm. I've grown up with horses. She's got into horses as as an adult, but has had one for probably 20 years now. And I will tell you that one of the exercises was um, moving three horses from one end of a large indoor arena to the complete opposite end of the indoor arena without touching them. Mm. These were, some of the horses had never been in this, used in this program before. It was a cold February day. And from some of the earlier activities, they were already showing that they were a little bit rambunctious and maybe not willing to separate from the herd. Mm. And we failed. We could not get them to, and we were not allowed to use halters or leads. We couldn't get them from point A to point B. And the discussion that came out of that was not so much about our horsemanship skills, but did we have the right goal defined for the moment? Um, Did we take into account that the weather was what it was? Did we take into account that maybe these horses weren't prepared to work in their group together, or maybe they weren't feeling comfortable or have that feeling of safety that they needed? Um, And did we need to, you know, for the group that participated, did we need to go back and reevaluate that goal? Should we have said, look, maybe that's our goal for six months from now, but we're going to break it down into this step for right now. Um, So I found that really interesting. And on our whole ride home, we were like, wow, you know, there's, 
there is something to be learned, even if you have grown up on a horse yeah. um, since infancy. <laughs> really cool. You know, we've talked a little bit about y- you being a coach and, um, and doing it, you know, whether it's online or in person and being equine assisted. Is there a difference between a career coach and a business coach? Coaching, um, like a lot of other industries, can get very niche very quick. Um, So there are a lot of coaches um, who can work with people with different goals. They may be somebody who is interested in defining what their next step is in their career um, or what their next step is in their business. And then there are other people who focus narrowly on that topic. And one example I'll give is I've recently met a woman who worked in a in her college's career services center for her entire career. And now that she is retiring, she is going to offer coaching services exclusively to individuals, most of them coming out of college to help them prepare and find that first job. Um, and so she has really deep knowledge in that area um, that, that she can bring to that situation. Similar to a business coach, you know, if you have a business coach with really deep knowledge about what it's like to to start a business, um, to monitor the finances, to have to hire people, um, they can put themselves in the shoes of the coachee. Um, but there are, you know, there are coaches that can do both. And then there are others who choose to really focus on one area of specialty over another. Okay. And do you find there's differences in working with someone who is an employee at a corporation versus someone who's a small business owner? That is a great question. So I imagine some of the leadership qualities are the same, whether you run the whole thing or if you're a manager in a, in a larger corporation. But I feel like, I don't know, as a small business owner, I, I would feel a lot different about it, I think. <laughs> I think that there are some differences. You know, you allude to... As far as communication, you know, I think that that is similar regardless of where we are and the dynamic, the interpersonal dynamics we can run into. Mm-hmm. I think where it starts to get a little different, you know, in a corporation, that individual, depending on their position, may or may not have control over the end outcome. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So coaching them through their challenge or even to perhaps what their next step will be needs to be within the parameters of what they decide they want to control and actions that they want to take. Somebody who's running a business, um, they can make that decision to hire or fire somebody. They can make that decision to invest in a new service offering. Um, And so it's, their goals are just slightly different. Yeah, that makes sense. I know you said you do work with people who are outside of the equine industry, but what's kind of your mix? Uh, Do you have more people that are like from small business owner corporate or do you have more people who are equine related? A lot of the, I would say most of the equine assisted work I've done has been with individuals outside of the horse industry. Um, They may have been around a horse when they were younger to varying degrees. Um, And those clients have ranged from small business owners to um, shortly after our call, I have like a local mastermind group. It's six business owners who meet monthly and they're going to come and we're going to work through, um, they want to talk about communication styles. 
They also want to talk about how do we unwind and unplug from our business? Um, how do we address some of those mental health issues? Um, so the, the equine assisted work has been really interesting to have people there who I even had one woman come who was raised in an urban setting and never been around horses. Um, mm-hmm. So for her to even come and then the, the, the learning moments that she took out of that and shared with her group as far as how she needed to show up as a learner was pretty interesting to watch. Um, some of the traditional coaching that I've done, as I mentioned, like via Zoom or one-on-one, that has been with a number of folks in the horse industry. Um, a couple of people that, you know, given my my background in the journalism side of things, especially in equine media, I've worked with several freelance writers who have come to me and asked for for coaching, um, for them to decide how to launch their freelance business, how to find what was next in their freelance business. Um, and so we worked through, you know, what are your goals? Where do you want to be? What, you know, what is most important to you? And one of the women that I coached, um, she was trying to start her freelance business. And what I thought was really interesting and an important distinction between like coaching and mentorship, um, she did a mentorship program and learned a lot of good practical tactical strategies. Okay. You do step A, you do step B, you do step C. When I worked with her on coaching, it was, okay, you know, really, where do you want to see yourself now in three years from now, five years from now, what are the boundaries you want to set around your business so that you're running your business, your business isn't running you. Um, And really digging into, she had some imposter syndrome and really digging into where did that come from and how do we work around, you know, helping you gain that confidence with the skills that you've already demonstrated to bring into this new business enterprise you're so excited to pursue. Wow. So you really have like a range of of topics that you cover. And I mean, from almost like a therapist. (laughs) (laughs) I do, you know, I do want to be very careful. This is not therapy. Um, Right. Licensed therapist. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, No, I understand that. I just like you do, you work on the mental side of things as well as, you know, the practical things. And so, yeah, there's a lot of, um, you know, from leadership, to communication. I mean, it all ties together for sure. But, you know, that's um, a a huge wealth of knowledge that you have to be able to talk to people about and kind of give them guidance. That's amazing. Thank you. I appreciate those kind (laughs) words. And, And I would say too, like, I think it's very important when you work with a coach to find somebody who you feel 100% comfortable working with. Um, I, not every coach is for every person. Um, I am not the coach for every person. The, every coach that I work with is not for every person that I could refer to them. Um, so I think it's really important to have a, um, a screening call with somebody that you may want to have as your coach and really get to know them before you start working with them so that you can maximize the investment that you're making. Do you find people struggle to open up to you? I think that is a great question because we all can get a little uncomfortable when we're vulnerable, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I find that that tends to happen when we get further into coaching sessions. You know, the first two or three sessions, we're starting at the surface level and then we start peeling the onion away a little bit at a time. And when we start to get into our core beliefs of what make us who we are and how we can use those beliefs to make decisions in our businesses and our careers, 
that can be that can be tough to have an honest conversation about. And so I find that people who really truly want to make a difference and want to make those decisions based on those core beliefs will open up over time, um, even if it's difficult for them. Do you dive into the finances, people's finances of their businesses? It depends. I will say that. It really depends. I am not um, an accountant. Um, Some industries like the freelance industry that I know well, I am willing to talk finances with them. Um, Mm -hmm. I'll even share information with them as to how I started, how I do my pricing. Um, But I am not an expert by any means. Um, So if they have a lot of finance questions, I do usually refer them out to somebody that has a, a much deeper background in that area. Yeah, I was just curious if that becomes like a sticking point, especially in the equine industry of people opening up about their businesses. Um, do they go that deep into it? So on the content side of my business, I'm involved in two very different associations. One is in the equine industry. One is not in the equine industry. And the one that's not in the equine industry we all share all of that financial data <laughs> with each other um, and offer advice and don't accept a job for less than X, Y, Z. You know, if this is a not a job for you, if it's at this hour or whatever. In the Equine Association, um, it's much more guarded, which mm-hmm. is interesting to me, um, especially because some of those rates are set. You know, as the the member, they, can't, they don't have a choice of really negotiating with a lot of those rates. So you'd think there'd be some more open dialogue, but it is fascinating to me to see the difference between equine and non-equine business realms. I'm sure I, I would, I would have assumed that was your answer as well, because I think, you know, topics, financial topics and financial advisors and people like that, that we've talked to um, have had similar feelings as well that um people don't want to share and don't want to open up and um i think maybe more so in this industry than in others but um yeah i think but i think people like you and coaches and and others that want to help you know maybe start breaking down a little bit of the barriers and why it's important to discuss certain aspects of financial arrangements um, in the industry. And that helps level the playing field for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. I think transparency is a little, is also important for people and integrity, right? Like that's, that's what I feel like, uh, we struggle with sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) And as you were um, sharing that, it reminded me. So so first I'll say, you know, always talk to your financial planner or your accountant about important financial decisions. Um, But I am part of a, we call it a business to business think tank. And most of the owner, actually I am the only horse person in that group. Um, But what I have found is I have met with other business owners. One of them is actually a financial planner And we have spoken very candidly about how much money they have in their 401k. Mm. And what it did for me as a business owner, what, you know, I'm always like, am I doing enough? Am I going to have enough for retirement? Am I selling enough? Where's my business going? And by having trusted people that I could openly talk to about that, 
I saw, oh my gosh, this person is 50. Well, this person's 55, you know, they're 10, 15 years older than me. And they're at that level. And here I am at my age with what I've done. Doesn't mean I'm going to take my foot all the way off the gas, but I'm doing okay. Um, mm. you know, and so we spent probably a full day in January, the three, the financial planner, this other business owner and myself just talking about numbers. And that was incredibly eye-opening and helpful to think about where I wanted to go next in my business. And so mm. I encourage, I encourage horse business owners, especially if you don't feel comfortable doing that with another horse business owner, find a network of other business owners that you can trust. Yeah. And start having some of those conversations. Great I advice. I think yeah, that's, that's really uh, much advice. easier for people to accept when they know like their colleagues or their competitors aren't going to know what they're making or how much they have or what they're charging. And yeah, find somebody that you know and trust that doesn't have a connection to your business and or in your industry and and use their experience and an insight. At what point in someone's career or in the path to starting or continuing a business do you recommend someone hiring a coach? I think a good point to work with a coach is when you um, are finding yourself struggling with something Mm -hmm. or you find yourself ready to make a change and you've exhausted other resources that you have available. So maybe you've attended some courses or classes. Um, Maybe you have worked with a mentor or um, have sought help in other ways and then decide, I'm really committed to making this change or improving this particular aspect. Perhaps it's in a team dynamic at the office. Um, When that really becomes a sticking point and you're committed to making a change, that's when I I think a coach can be helpful. Um, Because coaching takes a lot of work on the part of the coachee. Um, Mm. You know, I can ask a lot of questions, help them get thinking in the right direction, but unless they're willing and ready to commit to making some of those changes and taking those steps, they're not going to get the most out of the experience. Yeah, that makes sense. And what do you think is the most common reason people come to you for help? I think because they just don't know what to do next. Mm. Um, Just this week, I... Some of my favorite coaching work is to help people decide what is next on their career journey. And so I just had somebody introduced to me this week who he worked in manufacturing for his entire career. He went and became a coach and now he wants to know what his coaching niche is going to be. Hmm. So we're setting up an introductory call to see if, see if I'm the right fit for what he's looking for and then helping him decide where is he going to hone in on his new path. So if we agree to move forward in a coaching agreement, I'll help him pull up the the pieces of his job or his former career that he really enjoyed and got a lot of excitement and energy out of and see if there's ways that he can pull those into his coaching practice. Okay. And what kind of preparation should somebody do before they sit down to find a coach or talk to a coach? I think it helps to have some sort of idea about the coach that you are going to talk to, even on an introductory call. Um, Whether it's somebody you follow online 
Um, it may be somebody that you get to know through social media or because you listen to their podcast or you have followed the work that they've done. A lot of times that can come as a ref- come through as a referral too. Um, I've had coaches, like I've looked for coaches for myself for certain things that I've wanted to work on. And those have often come from referrals through other people in my network and vice versa. So my suggestion is, you know, take a look at that coach or coaches that you want to consider get to know a little bit about their background before you jump on cold. Um, and that may, you know, help guide the conversation and help you decide if it's going to be a good fit. That's good advice. And what are the first steps that you do when you're working with somebody? Usually it will start as an email, like I said, either an introduction or um, somebody will come in through my website and then I schedule a call with them. And it's really about a half an hour. I ask them some coaching questions that I would use in a regular coaching session just to help uncover how important this is, this change is to them, um, what they're willing to sacrifice to make that change and why. Um, and then I, I also give them an opportunity to ask me questions um, and, and find, you know, learn about how I coach how it might fit into what they're looking for. And so it's an open dialogue. And I think that that first call is really important before anyone signs any contract to make sure that it's going to really work for both parties. How long do your contracts usually last? I have found, um, so for the one-on-one coaching, what I've found is I start with a six-week engagement. Um, That can be six consecutive weeks. For some people, that's every other week or once a month. And then at the end of that engagement, we sit down and we talk about, um, did you accomplish your your goal? Um, Do you feel like you're ready to to take steps on your own? Or do you want to extend that agreement? And it really depends on the individual. I've had some who have said, I got what I need right now. I have a lot to work on. So let me take a pause in coaching. And then they'll come back three or six months later and say, okay, I'm ready to move on to the next phase of what I was working on and we'll restart. Um, so it really does depend on the individual and their goals. When do you think uh, clients can expect to start seeing results? Is it, or is it completely dependent on how much work they put into it? It's completely dependent on the work they put into it and the situation that they're working on. Yeah. Some things they can, resolve and work through very quickly. Others, especially if they're very deep-seated beliefs that they're trying to to work through or maybe alter a little bit, that can take a longer time. Do you think that um, people who like don't know what the changes they need to make uh, take a longer time? I think, I think it depends on how willing they are to open up. Okay. Um, because if they're a little resistant, it can take longer. Um, but if they're willing to be vulnerable, um, and there are a couple of tools that I like to use. One is called the, the wheel of life. And it kind of divides our lives into little pies, like our family, our relationships, our finances, and several other things. And I ask people to rate on a scale of one to 10 where each of those fall. And sometimes that in, in, alone is enough for them to say, 
oh, I didn't really know what I wanted out of coaching, but now I realize this is the area of my life where I've really been feeling a lot of tension or like I, it's just, I'm not getting energized here and that's where I want to move the needle. And and then once they, they kind of open up and, and look at that, things can move more quickly for them. Yeah. Cause I would think like for me, I'm, I'm thinking, what would I need to work on as we're having this discussion and what would I want? And I'm like, I don't even know. Like I wouldn't even know where to start. Like, I feel like I need to come to you so you can tell me <laughs> where to start. Well, and I, that's an excellent point because, um, you know, I, I do think coaching is valuable. I invested a lot of coaching for myself and my own business um, because I do believe in the value of it. I also think there's times where we maybe don't necessarily need coaching. We need to do inner reflection. Um, sometimes we are, things are good where we, we are at, right? Um, mm-hmm. And that's okay. Um, but if there's something that we are feeling that maybe we want to have a shift in the future, even if we don't know what that is, that might be the time to start working with a coach. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. So what kind of advice can you give people that is like garners the quickest and the largest return in a person's career, like something they could do immediately, like some kind of action they could take away from this that would, would help them? My favorite, I don't want to say homework because it's not really homework, but my favorite exercise that I like to ask coaching clients to do is to create a pro and con list. So take whatever the topic is, take a sheet of paper, divide it into, put pros on one side, cons on one side, on the other. On the pro side, what what can you imagine for yourself if you actually took action and worked towards whatever this goal or change was? What's the downside to doing that? Uh-huh. And then once you have both your, your pros and your cons, is it worth your your time and your investment to do it? You know, are you that committed is it going to make that much of a shift in your life where you're going to say, oh, I'm thankful I did this? Or is it, oh, you know what? Things aren't as tough as I thought they were, or I'm moving in a better direction than maybe I thought I was. And, you know, you can then objectively evaluate what your next steps will be. Uh, and and does that kind of go the same for people who own businesses uh, versus somebody who's working for a company, an employee going through a corporation? I would say very much yes. Um, And I relate that back to, you know, we talked earlier about how much we love learning. Um, You know, as a business owner, we are probably all always thinking about what's next in our business. Um, We can't remain static in this environment and we always need to be changing. So having that pro and con list of what services do we want to offer? Is this one really worth my, my investment? Do I have the strengths? And if I have the strengths, do I have the passion? Because just because we're good at something doesn't mean it's necessarily going to fulfill us in our business. And so I find that pros and cons list to be just as useful for myself as a business owner and for others as they kind of contemplate what might be next. Yeah, I think that's interesting. I've actually been doing a lot of thinking lately about that passion side of things um, because I'm starting to recognize when I see somebody that's doing a job, like I think there's a difference between being good at your job and then being passionate at your job. And I'm like recognizing it. It's This is a really funny example, but I've um, sometimes I watch the Saratoga races on Fox and the commentators that are on there, they're so funny, but like they live it and they breathe it and they come up with statistics and they just 
they just sit there and they talk. And I know there's work that goes behind it, but I also know like they're so passionate about it. And I'm like, it's nice to like recognize that, that they're not just doing a job. Like they live it and breathe it. Right. And it's such a difference. <laughs> you, you reminded me one of the other things that I think anybody can do and benefit from is make a list. What energizes me? What drains me? You can do this whether you're working in a company or you're running your own business. And when you start to look at where am I finding that passion, you know, because they can talk about the statistics right off the top of their head because they love what they're doing versus I'm doing this because it's paying X number of dollars more than this other thing. Um, Or it, it might not even be money. It might be, you know, this role is asking me to use communication skills that are not aligned with my natural style. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And maybe I need to look for a different role where I can bring what is natural to me and enhance a role in that way. Um, So that's another one is just, you know, what's energizing me, what's draining me, and then what can I shuffle around in my business or my, my full-time job to, to bring those closer to alignment. Yeah, that's really good. And I think it's worth recognizing those things because a lot of times what is your passion is not feasible for your profession. Right. And I think so many people and people talk about it a lot of a lot these days that, you know, you should be doing something that you're passionate about. Well, maybe if that is really something that's going to work for your lifestyle and pay for your home and, you know, sustain your, own horses and (laughs) that sort of thing. So um, like you said, there's, there's different ways to recognize if what you're doing is fulfilling you, even if it's not something that you're passionate about. Right. Those points are, um, they're not mutually exclusive, but you don't have to be passionate about what you do day to day necessarily. <laughs> right. And you can be really good at it and not be passionate about exactly. it. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Exactly. And I'll use a, a personal example of my own um, in a previous full-time position before I launched my own business. I probably could have stayed there a lot longer and continued to run successful businesses as side hustles because the skill part of it was very easy for me. Mm. But I found the interpersonal dynamics at that particular organization to be so in contrast to my own (laughs) that I physically couldn't do it anymore. Um, And so, you know, kind of being able to recognize that what, you know, certainly those skills I enjoy, I learned a lot on that job and I was using Mm -hmm. skills that, as I mentioned earlier, were easy for me, but the dynamics of the the culture and how mm-hmm. that each department worked with one another just was so far out of alignment with how I like to communicate with clients or how I like to work on projects that it just wasn't feasible for me to stay. And so yeah, I think it's important. Yeah. And like you said, that pro and con list could have you seeing that it's not necessarily the job itself or the industry you're in that needs to change. It's just where you work or who you work with that needs to change. So yeah, I, like you said, there's a lot of work that you could do on your own um, to kind of see where you're at and where you want to be before going to someone to help you 
put those changes in motion and and set up a plan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I and to be honest, I mean I had a similar situation in a job that I was in as a farm manager um before I took my current position. I had like this little gap year where I was the general manager of a smaller breeding farm and I was really good at my job, but it was almost like I was too good at it because I did everything myself. I couldn't delegate and I wish that I had gone through that process of you know, what's energizing me and what's draining me. And I might've been able to figure out a way to make it work. And I'm glad I didn't because I enjoy my job now a lot, but you know, it's, it is when sometimes when you're in the thick of it, it's really hard to like pull yourself back and say, Oh, Hey, I've got to reevaluate this. I mean, I, I, it wasn't the people that I didn't like. It was just so much work that Mm. I, I didn't, I wasn't able to like separate myself from and I was very, very good at it, but I just couldn't keep doing it because I felt like I was going to have a mental breakdown <laughs> over it by not, yeah. Yeah. you know, by, by not delegating very well because I was a perfectionist and, you know, there were some things that, you know, I should have evaluated sooner than when I did <laughs> where I got to the point where I was burnt out and didn't, just couldn't see going forward anymore. <laughs> And that that burnout is a bad place to be. Um, yeah. I was actually going to add this. You know, sometimes we need a coach to help us with that push. Um, so I had said, you know, since my first job out of college, I always wanted to have my own business. And I had been working on it as a side hustle. And I got to the point where I was so burnt out. And aside from some of the other challenges, just so burnt out that I needed a coach to tell me. For me, it was financial because I was always like, do I have enough money saved aside? My very first boss told me, if you're ever going to run a company, you need to have three years salary in the bank. And oh, so yeah. when I was 22, I took that to heart. And so <laughs> I was, I was, I am, was a saver. And the challenge was every time I got a new corporate job, the salary went up. And so then the three-year salary became higher and higher. Um, and I got to the point where I was just like, I was burnt out. I was ready to have my own business. And I didn't know what to do next. And so that's when I, that was the first time I hired a coach and it was like, okay, what's the real issue here? And how do you then pull the trigger? Um, and so sometimes it is when we're also just stuck. You know, we mm-hmm. just are spinning our wheel in the same spot and just need somebody to help us sit, grab our hand and say, let's jump off this ledge together. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and, and I hope that we have people that are listening that maybe they're in that position and it pushes them to go and do that. Because like looking back, I wish I had known about coaching and what coaches could do for you and how they could help you. And, you know, it just probably would have made the transition a lot easier than, than getting, having complete meltdowns. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. And kind of having someone help parse through what is, okay, you may be miserable. What what part of it is making you miserable (laughs) and identifying and saying, okay, that's what you need to change. And here's how you can change it. Um, So it's, I find that the the opportunity to have somebody help you with that could be life-changing. Oh, yeah. It truly is. Yep. Yeah, because I feel like a, a lot of times when we're in those positions, I know myself, I feel like I'm in this black box over the top of my head that I can't see out of, that I can't yeah. get out of. I, I don't even know. And then once you like see a little peak of light, then it opens up everything, right? But until you have somebody to be able to say, you know, hey, and and 
for me, I don't know if it's necessarily even like, I think coaching and the business aspect would is so much more helpful than maybe just having a therapist to talk to Yeah, because you have somebody who is, understands the business part of it for you that can kind of pick that apart, you know, <clears throat> and they, and help pick the burnout apart. <laughs> exactly. You know, I, I was very fortunate that it didn't come to major health issues, but at that point I was, I, I literally could not get out of bed in the morning. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the people that I worked with were like, Oh, you just, you need to talk to EAP. It's depression. I'm like, no, it's not depression. I actually was ill, <laughs> you know? So I had gotten to the point of burnout where I had mono and then I had other things that complicated on top of that. And when I started working with this coach, even aside from some of the um, communication and culture challenges, which I've since gotten coaching on, I would love to go back and try those skills and see if I could <laughs> leave some more of that at the office. Um, but really beyond that, it was, I had said to myself, 15, 20 years prior that I always wanted to run my own business. And so why hadn't I done it yet? And it was like that juncture of it's time to, if you're really serious about this, that's where I needed help was, okay, how do I make this a reality now? And just get, I'd waited and prepared, but I needed that push. And that's what that coach did for me. And that's what I think can help, like you said, start to see the light at the end of the tunnel um, and help us kind of get on that new path. Yep. Further to the topic, can you tell us um, what your book is about and what inspired you to write it? Sure. So um, my the book that I co-authored was is um, Shoeing the Modern Horse, the Horse Owner's Guide to Hoof Care and Farrier Work. And I worked with the farrier professor from Cornell University to create this highly illustrated guide about everything that goes into how a farrier decides to shoe your horse, um, everything from the horse's confirmation to how the horse is working to any pathologies that might be in the hoof. Um, And we also looked at um, the careers that are available in the farrier industry and how you get started in the farrier industry. And that project came about because I have been involved with equine media forever and I happen to be um, at a seminar for the American Horse Publications, probably, and this is either 2017 or 2019, and knew both the publisher and the editor of Trafalgar um, Square Publishing. And they'd been talking about wanting to put together this book. They'd had an earlier version that had been published several years before, and they were looking for something that was similar, but a little bit different. And so I just volunteered and said, hey, you know, I, I'd love to, I've wanted to write a book, um, would love to step in and help you with this book. And the original farrier that we had in mind did not end up following through with the project. And I I knew um, Steve Krause from Cornell and I said, hey, I think he'd be a good subject matter expert for us. Um, and the really interesting thing that emerged out of this, it was it started completely as a writing book project for me. For me, that was the mindset I went in as was this is a writing project. And it actually became a coaching ex- coaching relationship. Um, how wow. yeah, how do I get the subject matter expert to to bring forth all of his knowledge in a way that can be presented in written form that audience members will enjoy. Um, so it was really interesting to see my own mindset shift around that project. And it has inspired me to um, kind of get more into thought leadership and helping other individuals who may want to write a book. You know, where do you start with that book? How are you 
working on getting your thoughts in an organized fashion in a way that captures the audience. Um, so it's helped my brand because my name is out there and it's also kind of helped define other ways that I can help people on their journey. Do you think um, that experience would lead you to write another book and to, you know, be on a topic that you already work on like coaching? Two great questions. Um, so I do have some things in the works. Um, two things. One, I cannot share too many details on yet because we're still in the early negotiation phase, but there is a project that is, it will actually feature the horse industry in it. Um, and, and it'll be an individual story and journey, but connect to the industry on a larger scale that I'm really excited about because it will pull in some of that resilience, um, grit, and all of those things that we talk about in coaching. The other project that I'm really excited, and I've been working with a publisher on that topic, so we're kind of fine-tuning and seeing if it's something we can bring to fruition for them. Um, a project that I'm working on on my own that I'm very excited about is I have recently launched a very small newsletter called Words of Winston, and mm -hmm. it's actually named for our Colt Winston, who was born in March. Um, but in that newsletter, I'm talking about the intersection of being around horses and leadership. And I have started to identify corporate leaders who are working outside the horse industry, but have been involved with horses either as a child or as a current owner and what horses have taught them about leadership and how that they are incorporating that into their career. And so I'm lining up interviews with folks and excited to be launching some of that, hopefully in the fall, um, because I just think it's, I, horses have so much to teach us. You know, I learn something mm -hmm. from them every day, confidence building, things that I didn't think I could accomplish with a young horse that when you think back about it, oh my gosh, it happened in the office too. And so finding folks kind of in those scenarios that can help get the word out to the broader broader world is something I'm really passionate about. How many horses do you have now? <laughs> Too many. <laughs> <laughs> I say the same thing all the time. We had one horse for 10 years. And then last year I went crazy. We bred her um, for hopefully a ranch versatility prospect. And because she was going to be out of commission, I went and bought a three-year-old while well, he was two last year. So we have three. Um, and nice. we are at capacity because <laughs> we work <laughs> like no more. And they're, you, are they quarter horses? They are. Yep. Yeah. Cool. And do you use them in the equine assisted coaching? Yes. So my mare, Bella, is um, 15 and she got drafted two years ago. And it's really great because she's a very people horse. Um, she's, I trust her with like, she doesn't kick, she doesn't bite, she doesn't freak out you know there's really she's very unflappable but she will not just do you know so it brings up those points that we're struggling with that we may not realize um this spring I did take my he's now three I took Leroy to a session um I was a little concerned because last fall he was very mouthy and I certainly don't want anybody to get hurt or bit <laughs> um but he grew up a lot over the winter and was phenomenal in the program. Um, and he's a little bit more sensitive to 
just how you're showing up in your your body movements. And I don't mean sensitive in that he will um, spook or startle, but he will either follow you or, you know, just his reactions are just so much more sensitive than hers um, and can really bring out some interesting conversations. Um, I did a program through a community college and I had a woman come who was just so excited about being around the horses. And she had told me she was going to a program where she could just brush a horse every week, but she showed up so nervous that he wouldn't go anywhere near. (laughs) And so it took us, you know, even to the extent of at the very end, I said, Oh, you know, do you, do you want your picture with him? I'll have, I'll position him next to you. I'll take your picture so you can take this home and get them all set up before I can back up and take the picture. He walks away from her. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, I, I felt bad. You know, I wish we'd had Mm -hmm. longer time that we could have actually worked through what happened. But I think for her, she walked away saying, gosh, I didn't realize how nervous I was when I came and maybe Mm -hmm. that's or how my mind was being pulled in so many different directions. Um, And so that was even a learning moment right at the very end of the session for her. So, you work with somebody else, like how many horses total um, is you typical to have during the program? It depends on the size of the group. Um, I did start using just one horse because that's what I had um, at the time. I have used two horses as we get up to groups that are over five people. Um, I won't do a max. I won't do over 10 right now because our space is a little bit smaller And I just feel like once you get over 10, people start to get lost in the crowd and they may not be as willing to contribute. Mm -hmm. Um, Once, So I have my own two horses that I use. The colt is too young. And then I have a couple of friends with horses that I know they're, they're well, they're good citizens, well-traveled. They're not going to hurt somebody. So I've pulled them in on occasion. If I have a horse like Bella with a colt and I couldn't bring her. Um, So, you know, I have access to two or three other horses aside from my own if needed. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. It, it's definitely nice to have friends who are willing to to support your work because mm-hmm. I can't afford to support five horses on my own, but <laughs> to be able to say, Hey, can I pull you off the bench and use your horse is definitely much appreciated. Yeah. How long do the sessions last? It depends. Um, I had a manufacturing team come out for an entire day. They, mm-hmm. we started at nine o'clock and we finished at three 30. A lot of sessions tend to run about three hours. Um, and I, I see that as it's more of an experiment to them. They don't understand necessarily what they're going to get out of it. And then when they come back, they ask for something longer. Hmm. Oh, so I see this as sort of, I see those three hour ses- sessions as a development phase in the business. And it's all on the ground, just yes. working with them. Uh, okay, cool. Yep. No riding. That's the thing I tell everybody. No riding. <laughs> yeah, I imagine it's, I mean, obviously not for people who have no horse experience, but for people who do have horse experience, it's not about getting on and telling them what to do with your aids. It's more the the subtle cues on the ground that they need to work on. Yeah. It's, am I being congruent? Am I showing up internally the way that I'm telling you? I'm showing up Mm -hmm. and horses can detect that better than any, any person can. Right. Cool. Well, it's been really fun to speak with you about what you do and, and how you help people. And I think, um, 
listeners will get a lot out of it and, you know, how they could maybe start their journey to, um, you know, whether they want to make a change or make an improvement uh, in their life or their career and, and how a coach may help them. So thanks for speaking with us today. I thoroughly enjoyed our conversations. Yeah. Thank you for having me on. So at the end of each episode, we ask guests the same four questions and Connor starts with the first. What is one action that women can take to make a big difference in their lives? I would say this is something we talked about earlier, that what energizes me, what doesn't energize me list. Yeah, that's great. And do you keep that to, do you expand that throughout your whole life? Like, do you, do you expand that to work and family and hobbies and everything? I imagine it could be a pretty long list. <laughs> <laughs> I I do. Um, so I do a, a solo retreat every January for myself. Um, I don't really go anywhere. I just sit at a different table in my house. So I'm not at my desk. Um, but I do, I go through all the dimensions of, you know, my business. How do I feel about how this is affecting my family, any hobbies, any volunteer work. Um, and I look at the whole picture and then make my next year's plan based on, on reviewing it through that lens. Hmm. I've I've heard of that before doing like a year review and going through all of that. I've never done it and I always want to, but I'd, I'd like to, but I just like to be the kind of person that does that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll, I'll tell you, you know, on the writing side of my business, um, when I've done that, it has really helped me assess what clients to keep in my business and which ones I have potentially outgrown. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we talked about there's only so much time to make a living to pay for our home. And sometimes, well, not some of the clients that I've had to let go are people who I've really admired, uh, um, enjoyed friendships with, but it didn't make sense in the business model to keep moving forward. And so, um, and I take that into account with how much of my income they made up, you know, so it's not just, you know, am I going to work with them or not? It's can I replace them with something else? Can I let them drop off? Um, and that has been a huge game changer in my business for me. Yep. And what is the best habit that keeps you motivated personally? <laughs> I feel like all of my habits have gone out the window this year with having a full. Yeah. <laughs> um, for me, I think the best habit has been committing to getting up and working out every morning mm-hmm. and I keep it to 30 minutes. I'm not grinding away for an hour and a half, but I find that my body just feels better. My mind is more ready to work. Um, and even on days, it's really hard to get out of bed, do it. I force myself to, and it just sets up for a better day. Yeah. I've, uh, I, I don't every morning, but when I was doing it, I felt like even when I pushed through, it made me be like, okay, at least I'm not going to beat myself up for the rest of the day that I intended to. And then I didn't do it. Exactly. Exactly. Because I know, I know myself, if I don't do it in the morning, there is no, I'm not getting done. I know. I used to be such a person who liked to like, like get up later. Not that I was ever allowed to growing up on a horse farm, but you know, like, like I always liked the idea of like sleeping and everything. And now at this point in 
in my life, I'm like, okay, I want to get up at like 5 a.m. and get everything done by 2 p.m. and be done for the day. <laughs> I know when I was, you know, when I was working at corporate jobs, I worked out after work, right? You know, so yeah. I worked a full day and I'm like, I don't have that energy anymore. <laughs> I need to start the day that way and then be done, like you said, by 2 3 o'clock. Yeah. Oh, what's your favorite horse movie? Wild Hearts Can't Be Broken. Ah, that's mm-hmm. a good one. <laughs> And I will say, fun fact, my grandfather was a pilot in the Air Corps during World War II. And while he was in New Jersey for training, he actually saw the diving horses, which was kind of cool. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. And who would you recommend to be a future guest on this podcast? I haven't told her this yet. However, um, I would recommend my friend Stacey Anna Triello. Um, She works Full, she and her husband both work full time. They run a pretty full boarding stable and they put on a phenomenal family friendly show circuit um, that has just grown. Um, and I think she would have a lot to share about how she's made decisions to keep growing that event and have this huge following that she has nurtured over mm-hmm. the last few years. I mean, she'll have classes. It's it's appointed circuit, but it's not affiliated with a breed circuit. Um, mm-hmm. and she'll have 15, 20 people in almost every class. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, you know, good. (laughs) Well, thanks so much for speaking with us today. And um, we look forward to seeing more that comes out from your future projects. Thank you. Thank you both. Thanks. I'm so glad that we got to have Katie on. Uh, I was really looking to for, forward to some of her sessions um, at in Saratoga and with her not being able to make it, I was like super bummed. But then, you know, being able to have this one-on-one time with her, I thought was really great because then we could really dive into the questions. We weren't, we're not on uh, a time frame that we have to get done by. So uh, I actually think it worked out for the best in the way it was supposed to. Agreed. Yeah, I liked being able to kind of dive into what she does and how she does it and how it helps people. Um, and even just finding out more about, you know, how many horses she has and little personal things like that is um, really cool that we get to do on this podcast. Yeah. Writing the book. I think that mm-hmm. was really cool. Yeah. And and uh, that it, it has helped her brand and, I just, I think she had some really good pieces of of advice throughout the entire conversation too. You know, I liked her uh, making pros and cons list. Mm -hmm. Um, I really liked the idea of figuring out what energizes you and what drains you. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like she's had a lot of uh, personal experience that was relevant to to the topic and that she could give examples of it. So, you know, it makes it more relatable, I think, that way. For sure. And I I think most people might, well, maybe not most people. I think some people would hesitate to go to someone and have them help them on their business like this. I, I don't know. Maybe a lot of people have trouble asking for help and taking this step towards divulging everything about their business <laughs> to someone. Um that can be really hard for people. So knowing that there's someone like her who, you know, has the experience kind of, if you are in the equestrian industry, she understands the horses and, and the commitment it takes. Um, 
to be in this industry. You know, it's not a corporate nine to five job. Even if you're not dealing with horses every day, you can be in other industries and be working, or I mean, not other industries, but other jobs in the industry, mm-hmm. not, you know, working with horses directly and still be on their time schedule. <laughs> right, right, right. And, and I just, I really loved how she was able to break down what she does. Cause sometimes I think people don't necessarily understand what a coach is, you know, and I think it was helpful for me to understand what her job is, what she can do for you. I mean, mm-hmm. and it's so broad, right? right? Like what they can help you with. And, and then spinning into that equine assisted coaching part of it. I'm fascinated by that because we've had other people on the podcast before that have talked about the herd mentality. And, yeah. you know, we always talk about what horses give to us, um, you know, that we take into our careers, our everyday lives and what we get from them. And so like seeing people who may not be horse people come in and then how also when she was talking about the horses reacted to people who are horse people and her yeah. experience doing it. Um, it's just fascinating to me. Yeah, that was great to hear. And I'm sure it really opens up other avenues of conversation and getting people to really look at themselves in a different way, especially if they're horse people and they can't get a horse to do something on the ground. <laughs> right. Like yeah. I, That's what I was imagining myself, like going to a barn and the horse completely ignoring me. Like, how do you react to that? Right. And, you know, how do you work with them to accomplish something? And in my mind, I was thinking about it because I've done some um, uh, team sorting you know, where with the cattle sorting and you mm. pick the numbers and you have to get them in order and or they pick out one or two cows and you have to cut them out. Um, so I've done that before and thinking about how hard it was on another horse to get that accomplished. And then like if you're in an arena just on your feet trying to make horses move around. And as horse people, like what what do you bring into that, right? Because you're like, I'm going to make them do this. Like I I know what I'm doing, and I can make myself, I can make them do it. And they're probably like, yeah, good luck. (laughs) (laughs) Like, oh yeah, you know, like I've had this, I've had that experience sort of when we've been trying to jump horses through a chute, or you know, uh, get yearlings when I was at Blue Chip to go into the shed to catch them for the farrier, (laughs) and they're like. No, and you're like, I'm going to make you do it. And they're like, no, you're not. Yeah. <laughs> it's very humbling for sure. Oh, uh, Well, I think it was a great conversation and I think people will get a lot out of it um, and, you know, be able to maybe make the decision to get a coach themselves if they find themselves at that point uh, where they need someone to help them make a decision or move forward or make a big step and, um, and help yeah, I their, mean, their career or their business. I would definitely consider it going forward, especially what I went through when, you know, before I was in this position, um, you know, it took a real toll on me mentally, uh, not being able to make a decision and, you know, figure things out. And so I definitely think that it's kind of nice to know that there's somebody out there that could, can help you through those type of things. For sure. I would say, <laughs> I was going to say, one of the things that I I would love to see people do as a team building exercise is 
take apart a bridle and put it back together. <laughs> you mean non-horse people or yes, horse people? Non-horse people. I know horse people who can't put a bridle together. So yeah. I think seeing would... non-horse people like show them a picture and have yes. them put it together. That would be interesting. Wouldn't that be an interesting team building experience? I wanted mm-hmm. to say that to her and I totally forgot it by, by the time we were talking, but I was like, and I think that hers is more hands-on with the actual horses and seeing like that mm-hmm. reaction. But I was like, yeah, I could see myself doing a team building exercise for somebody and plopping a bridle down and being like, here's a picture. Yeah. Here's all the pieces, put it together. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> anyway that's my little thought for the day but anyway it was a great conversation and i'm i'm excited for the next one Uh, you can find the links to today's guest and the show notes at www.eqbusinesswomen.com equestrian b2b is out twice a month on the first and the 15th you can find out more at eqbusinesswomen.com and follow us on facebook and instagram Find equestrian b2b wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to follow subscribe and leave leave a review. You can have all 20 plus shows of the Horse Radio Network with you wherever you go with their free app for iPhone and Android. Go to your app store and search Horse Radio Network. Now go list what energizes you and what drains you. 